Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1, and I'll read verses 27 through 30 here in just a little bit. I was reading about a, a story about a lady from North Korea named Cha Deokson. And uh, there, there was a great famine in the 1990s in uh, North Korea, and she uh, sought help, and when she couldn't find any help in North Korea, she actually uh, entered into China illegally to try and find an uncle that she knew was somewhere in China, uh, hoping that she could find him and, and get some help from them. But instead of finding her uncle, she found the Seotap Church, and instead of finding the help she was thinking she was going to get, she found the help that she needed. She heard the gospel and she received the gospel message of Jesus Christ and it utterly changed her life. Obviously, that's what Jesus Christ does to us. Well, she returned to North Korea and even though she had illegally crossed back and forth, they actually allowed her to remain out and about in society just because of the great poverty that was there in the nation. So the government said that she could travel between towns in North Korea in order to make a living for herself, trying to get money for herself. But instead of going from town to town to try and make a living for herself, she went from town to town sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping the poor and the suffering, as well as joining the underground church in worshiping and studying God's word. But eventually, someone reported her ministry, reported her work there in North Korea. And so authorities took her into custody. It's not known how she was executed, but it is known that she was martyred for the faith in Jesus Christ. Here was what we might consider just an ordinary, everyday Christian. But she did some amazing things because she knew the worth of Christ. And she knew the worth of the message of the gospel that Jesus saves. She knew Christ's value. She knew how eternally important he is. And what about us? She allowed the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to determine her steps in life. Would someone look at us? Would someone look at our life and say that person values Jesus Christ? That person thinks that Jesus Christ is worth much. We have to ask ourselves this question. Is hostility toward the faith, is hostility toward the true Christ, is hostility toward the true gospel continues to grow? We're forced to look at ourselves and ask the question, how much do I actually value Christ? You know, yes, obviously Christianity is still legal in the United States, and yes, it's even still somewhat culturally accepted here in the South. So it's easy to claim a form of Christianity. But what do our words, our actions, our attitudes, our choices, what do they project to other people about how much we actually value Christ and his gospel? And as the pressure mounts, 
We might want to put the question this way. Are Christ and the gospel worth it when the rest of the world is against us? Are Christ and the gospel worth it? Paul is writing this letter. He's writing from prison, writing to the Philippian church. And Paul says, most certainly Christ and the gospel are worth it. Christ and the gospel are worth everything. And so what we learn from the verses that we're reading this morning is that we are called to live a life worthy of Christ's gospel. This is not a works-based salvation. But once we truly know Christ, once we are truly saved through Christ, we really learn he's worth it. He is worth every bit of it. And so I want, I want us to learn from Paul to live worthy of Christ and his gospel in a world that is living that is growing more and more hostile toward him and the faith. And so I wanna read verses 27 through 30 of Philippians chapter one. If you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these verses. And this is what Paul tells the Philippian church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray today is the day to remember how worthy you are of how much worth you are for who you are and for all that you have done. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Now, so to give you some context of what's going on here in the book of Philippians, Paul is in prison in Rome. He's awaiting to have an audience with Caesar. And Paul is writing to this church that he helped plant, and he is very grateful and, uh, for them and just happy with them because of their gospel partnership. Um, and, and so he, he writes to the Philippian church telling them, okay, don't worry about my circumstances. Because one way or another, I'm going to be delivered from this. I'm going to be delivered by being released or I'm going to be delivered by my death. But one way or another, I'm going to be delivered. And it doesn't matter about the way that he is delivered because Paul says, either way, what I'm more, most concerned about is that Jesus Christ is honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. I want Jesus Christ to be honored. Now, he is pretty certain that he's eventually going to get released into the world and, and to be able to continue his ministry. But either way, he encourages the church to live a certain way as they face hostility just like he does. And I think that what he writes and, 
it is a good call and it's a good reminder to the modern church. Yes, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But when you read scripture, it is a faith that will not be alone because we were created and saved for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should work in them. Just like James reminds us in his epistle, saving faith, it is by faith, but it will lead to works. It will lead to spiritual fruit. Your new life in Christ will be demonstrated because live trees bear fruit. Dead trees do not bear fruit. People made spiritually alive in Christ bear spiritual fruit. Those who are merely religious or culturally Christian, they do not bear fruit. And so Paul wants to encourage the Philippian church to live spiritually fruitful lives, even in, an, in the midst of a world that is just dead set against them. Now there are several observations in this passage that I believe are important to highlight to encourage us to live a life worthy of Christ and his gospel, even in the midst of a world that is going to grow more hostile toward us, toward him, toward the word, toward truth, all the time. And so just a few lessons I wanna highlight. First, consider a citizen's call, a citizen's call. Paul says in verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy. Now, other translations will see, say something to the effect, you know, live your life worthy or conduct yourself in a, in a worthy way. But um, this is actually not the normal word that Paul or John or Peter used to talk about living or walking in Christ. The word actually references your obligations as a citizen, your obligations as being part of a community. How do you act when you are a citizen of something? And so in a sense, it could be translated, live out your citizenship. Because you are a citizen, and a citizen of something most important. You know, all different types of communities, they have expectations upon those who belong to the group. If you're part of a club, it is expected that you pay your dues and you attend meetings. If you are a citizen of a nation, you're expected to follow the laws and attend to your civic duties. And this word citizenship was so important in the Roman Empire because when you became a Roman citizen, there were certain privileges and protections that came with it. And no matter where you traveled, you had those privileges and, and protections, as well as the fact that you were representing, for them, the Roman Empire, you were rep representing your citizenship everywhere that you went. Well, what about the Christian? What is our citizenship? I mean, yes, we're in America, but that's not the most important citizenship. Yes, we're actually part of a local church and there are expectations with that as well, but Paul is thinking of something more universal for his brothers and sisters in Christ. He, he is reminding the church and thereby reminding us, we are actually citizens of heaven. Yeah, okay, I'm on earth right now, but I'm actually a citizen of heaven. If you're in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. That means your loyalties and your heart belong there. I mean, yeah, okay. I'm here in Alabama, yeah, but my citizenship is in heaven, and that's where my heart belongs. And so that means that no matter where you go as a Christian, you carry with you the privileges and the protections of being a citizen of heaven. But that also means wherever you go, 
you are a representative of heaven. And there are expectations to your conduct. You may be here, but live like a good citizen of there, up in heaven. Because that's where you're a citizen. You live like you're a citizen of heaven, because that, you are a citizen of heaven if you're in Christ. And Paul will elaborate further what that means in the passage. But something that we have to just get in our mind, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, I am actually a citizen of heaven. It comes with all the protections and privileges of being a citizen of heaven. But it also comes with the responsibilities of being a citizen of heaven. You need to constantly remind yourself of where you truly belong and who it is that you represent. As Paul continues to flesh this out, we secondly observe that he talks about a righteous reflection. A righteous reflection. Paul says in verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So this is how we live out our citizenship. We live out worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now the word worthy means you live according to the merit, value, or worth that something has on your life. When you see something as valuable, when you see something as very valuable, that is gonna be reflected in your speech, in your thoughts, in your actions. It's gonna be reflected in the way that you live your life. You will live your life in light of what you think is most valuable. If you see something that is of little value, you pay it no mind. But if you see something that is of great value, yes, it will have a very important part in your life. I mean, you think about some uh, you know, crazy characters from cartoons or TV shows and movies and the things that they're known for because it's the things that they're obsessed with. You know, when you think of Garfield the cat, you think of lasagna because he thought that was what was of most value. You think of creatures like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all they talked about was pizza because that's all that was valuable to them. What is it that we talk most about? What is it that we value the most? I mean, even things of, you know, it's reflected in where we spend our life and where we spend our money and the time that we spend. You know, for me, I find a lot of value in football so I watch football and stuff, but I, find, I don't find a lot of value in soccer, no, nothing against anyone who plays soccer is interested in soccer, I just don't have that value in it. So it's reflected in my lifestyle. I have several t-shirts of my favorite football teams. I don't have any t-shirts that have to do with soccer. My streaming service is set to record football games. My streaming service is not set to record soccer games. It's because I value football more than I value soccer. It's reflected in my lifestyle. Where is Christ in the gospel? How valuable are they in your life? As a citizen of heaven, my life ought to reflect the fact that I value Christ and the gospel more than anything else. But the world competes against that. The, the world competes for my time and attention. My flesh desires satisfaction in, in other ways that go against my heavenly citizenship. So what receives the most value and worth in my life? Where do my heart and loyalties lie according to my thoughts, actions, and words? 
Now it's all well and good to talk about living worthy of Christ and the gospel, in theory. Anybody who's an American Christian can talk about that in theory. But what about action? How does that actually look? Well, Paul continues to explain his point. And so thirdly, he talks about a strong solidarity. A strong solidarity. In verse 27, Paul says that part of living worthy of the gospel of Christ includes standing firm in one spirit. Now that word for standing firm was used for soldiers who would stand at their post during times of war and would not budge no matter what was thrown at them. I'm going to stand here. This is my stand, and I am not being moved. You know, it reminds me of when I was a kid a long time ago, but it, it, you know, when I was a kid, we would play something like King of the Hill. You had this big dirt pile, and the person who was standing on top was the king, and all the other kids would come and try and knock them down, and then they would be king. And so, you know, that was the, the whole game, just trying to be able to stand. And so if you're the other kids, you're trying to knock them down. But if you were the king, you would stand, do everything you could to just stand there in that spot and not be moved. And Paul says to live a life worthy means you stand firm on the foundations of Christ and the gospel and you do not allow yourself to be moved from that spot. I'm standing on Christ. I'm standing on the gospel. But unlike the King of the Hill game, you are not alone. He is talking to the church and says that they stand firm together in one spirit. Now, Christians are saved by the same Christ, and all are indwelt by the same Spirit. And so Christians are united, locking spiritual arms so that they will not be moved. They will not budge from the foundation who is Christ and the gospel. And this is important because the enemy knows that he can further his agenda, if you want to call it that, he can further his agenda if Christians are divided. And he does everything he can to divide Christians. Don't believe me? Just look at some Christian social media. Trust me, it's working. See, he, he, he knows that because it's easier for individuals to stumble, as well as churches, when Christians are detached from one another. Unity is so important amongst the body of Christ. Unity around Christ Unity around the gospel. Now, no, you're not going to be able to get humans to agree about everything. I mean, there's no one in here that agrees about everything, but we better agree about the most important things, and that is Christ and the gospel. If we get sidetracked by so many, and this is what's going on in Christian social media and amongst Christians. We get distracted and sidetracked by secondary issues, third issues, fourth issues, and things like that when we start missing the main point. And if we start missing the main point, the main things, it's so much easier for the enemy to pick us off because he is a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. And so he's trying to divide Christians to make it a whole lot easier on him. That is why it's so important for all of us to be an agent of unity and to pray earnestly for unity around Christ and the gospel because only when we are united are we going to be able to stand firm and not be moved. But then he continues other observations about living a worthy life. Fourth, 
he talks about a significant struggle. He talks about a significant struggle. Paul says in verse 27, that another part of living worthy is to be with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now that word, I mean in the ESV that I read from, striving side by side, that's a whole bunch of words, but it's one word in Greek, and it's talking about contending in a joint effort. Like in an athletic team, the sports teams, they work together toward the goal of winning. They work in unison for the same purpose. For some reason, when I was studying this word, it, it got me thinking about the Olympic rowing teams, how they work in unison. You know, you watch the rowing teams, I mean, they're all moving in the same motion. They're moving their oars at the same time in the same way to maximize their speed, to maximize their efficiency. Their combined effort propels them toward the prize. And, and so Paul says, this is how we live together. We together contend for the faith of the gospel. We fight for the faith of the gospel together, all of us. Now, when it's talking about the faith of the gospel, it refers to the beliefs and doctrines that make up the truth of the gospel message. This includes the truth that all human beings are sinners and under God's judgment, and because of their sin, all people are separated from God. Yet God so loved the world that he gave his only son, God the Son, to take on human flesh, die on the cross, being the perfect sacrifice so that forgiveness is extended toward all those who believe. All who repent, meaning all who turn from the direction that they're heading and turn toward God, all who repent and believe and trust in Jesus Christ, in his death, in his resurrection, they will be saved. Paul wrote that, or actually said that to the Philippian jailer who was part of this church. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. And so we strive side by side for that gospel message. And I see two ways in which we contend together. We struggle together side by side for this faith. First, we strive side by side to get the message out into the world so that those who are still the unforgiven, those who are separated from God, they can learn about God's love, they can learn about mercies found in Jesus Christ. We strive together to let the world know that they can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. But another way that we strive side by side is fighting for the integrity of the gospel message because there are so many people out there trying to prevent, or not prevent, but really pervert, well, they are, they're trying to prevent and pervert the true gospel message getting out there. They pervert the doctrines. They present a false Christ. They give a false gospel. And they're out there. They, it, it, it is a battle. It is a struggle because they are out there vying for the ears and the hearts and the affections of the people in the world. And they turn people away from the truth. Turn them toward errors that will lead them to their eternal destruction. These perversions are, then are trying to make their way into the church so that the church no longer stands firm and strives for truth. But we must stand firm. We have to stand firm and we must strive side by side so that the gospel message doesn't get watered down or compromised. We must strive so that the true Jesus Christ of Scripture is presented to the people and that he is lifted up on high so that every knee should bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not the idols that these other people 
these false teachers, these false prophets are trying to put out there. Their version of Christ who doesn't actually exist. Putting out decoys out there, you could say, you know, you know how, I don't duck hunt, but you know how they put out duck decoys out there to try and draw, draw other ducks, you know, the ducks in for the kill. These false teachers are putting out Christ decoys out there, putting out false Christ, trying to draw people in for the kill. We must strive so that the message of grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone tears down the temples of these purported religions and philosophies that set themselves up against Christ. And so that only the truth of Christ remains, the true truth. And so we must fight together And this shows Christ his worth. This is the way we demonstrate his worth, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then this leads to another observation. Number five, Paul talks about a critical courage. After calling us to stand and to strive, Paul then tells us in verse 28 not to be frightened by our opponents. I mean, Paul knew there were opponents out there to the gospel, I mean, that's, that's why he's in prison to begin with. And all throughout his ministry, if you read the book of Acts, or even in his epistles, he talks about it, he ran into enemies of the cross all over the place that tried to prevent the good news of Jesus Christ from being proclaimed. Paul bore, literally bore the marks on his body of the enemy's attempts to stop his ministry. And yet nothing stopped him. He would not be stopped. As long as he had breath, He would keep going, and he encouraged the Philippian church and us have the same courage that he had facing those enemies. Now, the term literally means do not be intimidated because Satan is empowering these enemies to try and scare Christians from living a life that's worthy of Christ, from fulfilling their ministry calling. They're trying to scare Christians, make them hide. They breathe all sorts of threats and they do everything they can to try and bully us to keep us from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, if it's not physical, then maybe it's spiritual. Instead of beating us up, they call us names. They tell lies about us. You think of the, what I, the lady from North Korea that I talked about at the beginning, Cha Deosokin. She knew North Korea was not Christian friendly, and that's an understatement. And so yes, like they did to her, they may threaten us, they might kill us, but what is our life here on earth in light of eternity? Wouldn't it be better to spend our time for the sake of eternity and for the sake of Christ rather than trying to save our lives so we can live for the world? I mean, did not Christ himself say that whoever tries to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for him and for the sake of the gospel will actually save his life? Did not Christ warn us that it, it's not worth gaining the whole world and yet losing your own soul? Is not Christ more valuable than anything that can be found on this earth? In fact, is not Christ more valuable than taking everything that's on this earth, putting it all together, and it doesn't even come close to our wonderful Savior because he is so worthy. And so the enemies breathe their threats, 
what's the worst they can do to us? They can kill us. Well, Paul just said a few verses before this passage, to live is Christ, but to die is gain for the Christian. Well, they might make make us suffer. Well, you know, Paul said in Romans 8.18 that the sufferings of this present time aren't even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us through Jesus Christ. So what what can they actually do to us? They threaten, they bully, they have a lot of talk, so they try and instill fear in us. But we have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and of self-control. That's the spirit that's been given to us. And so our enemies are powerless to take away anything that's eternal from us. Satan and his minions cannot snatch us out of Christ's hands. Once we are in Christ's hands, we are in Christ's hands, and ain't nothing he can do about it. But he lies. He's the father of lies. He manipulates. He does all sorts of stuff to try and make us falter. But Paul says, you don't have to be intimidated by your opponents. You don't have to be intimidated by these enemies. So we stand and we strive with courage knowing we have nothing to fear from the enemies. If an opponent tries to intimidate us, we stand firm, we strive, we don't move. Because guess what? He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. I have Christ, and I will not be moved. So I have nothing to fear from those enemies. And then this leads to another interesting observation, number six. Paul talks about a positive proof. He talks about a positive proof. Paul says in verse 28 that the fact that these opponents are opposed to Christ and opposed to the gospel message and thereby opposed to his people, it is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of our salvation and that from God. It is a clear sign of their destruction that these people are opposed to the true gospel, that these people try and pervert the gospel. That's just proof. That's like legal proof that they are enemies of Christ and that eternal destruction is their destiny unless they repent, unless they repent. They are, the, the fact that they are opposed to the truth so clearly given to us in Scripture shows that they are condemned. But Paul says, because you hold on to the truth, because you stand firm in the truth, because you strive together for the truth, because you live for the truth, that is proof that you have received salvation from God and that through Jesus Christ. That is the demonstration. But there are so many out there today that are claiming a Christianity. If you want to put it in air quotes, put it in air quotes. They're claiming a Christianity, but they are denying the tenets of Scripture and they are openly hostile toward those who hold to a biblical truth. Their mantra is that true Christianity isn't about salvation from sin or about holiness or about anything that God has revealed in his word. Their version of Christianity is about inclusion of everyone, no matter their unrepentant lifestyle. You can embrace anything and everything, and you're good to go. That's the message being preached out there. And that is proof of their destruction. 
Now, yes, salvation is available to anyone and everyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ. But by the fact that they hold to a different Christ and they hold to a different gospel and they are hostile toward those who hold to, tr to the true Christ and the true gospel, that's proof of where they are headed. Jude warned about these people. Jude, in, in verse four of, of his small epistle, he warned us that certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They pervert the gospel and they pervert who Christ is. But for those who hold to a biblical definition of everything, who hold Christ being the only way, truth, and life, that is proof that you are saved. That is proof that you hold the salvation that is provided by God through Jesus Christ. And so a worthy life means that we are assured of eternal life. It's demonstrated by the fact that we hold to the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ, and we don't let the enemies move us from that. We stand firm and we strive, not afraid of the enemies because we already know their end, and we also know ours. We know where we're headed. And I wanna make one more very quick observation. Number seven, Paul talks about a godly guarantee. A godly guarantee. In verse 29, Paul says that it has been granted to us not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for Christ. And then in verse 30, he notes that all Christians are called this same conflict that he went through. So a worthy life means that the world is gonna be opposed to Christ's followers and we will suffer in this world. He says, it has been granted to you not only to believe, it has been granted to you to suffer, just like receiving a gift. And all of us, it's like that Christmas gift that we get from, from this aunt on this one side who always gives these crazy gifts, you know, the next day we want to return it and get something else. We're like, oh, God has granted me suffering. Thanks. We don't, when, we don't think of suffering as a gift. We don't think of su suffering as, yes, Lord, give me. That's what I want. I, I want a new car, I want a house, and I want suffering. We don't ever pray for that, do we? But it is a gift to be like our Savior. And if we suffer for the truth of the gospel, again, that is just a clear sign that we have been saved. Now, the, the only way that we would be able to get away from this suffering is to bow down to the pressures of the world, to be molded by the world, to be conformed to the world, to be intimidated into silence, to be intimidated to compromise the gospel, but that is not being worthy. That is not a worthy life. If you are living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, you are going to suffer at the hand of the enemy in some way, shape, or form. It might not be physical, it might be more mental and emotional and spiritual as they drag your name through the mud and say all sorts of lies about you, but you are living worthy when you suffer for Christ. You know, Peter warns us in his epistle, if you're suffering because of your own stupidity, that's my translation, if you're suffering because of your own stupidity, 
yeah, you're not suffering for Christ, but if you're standing strong on Christ and the gospel, then you're suffering for Christ. And anyone who's living worthy is gonna suffer. Paul would later say in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not maybe, not could be, will be persecuted if you stand strong in Christ, if you live a life worthy of Christ. And so let me close by asking, how much value do you put on Christ and the gospel? I mean, is it your spiritual life breath? Or are you one of the cultural Christians that just merely throw Jesus a bone every once in a while? Are you one of the cultural Christians that think that Christ is privileged to count you as one of his own and every once in a while when you do something for him? Or is Christ your everything because he is so valuable, because he gave his everything for you? If Christ has any worth or value to you, you will live worthy for him. My life demonstrates what's valuable to me. I value my family, so my life reflects that in the way that I think, in the way that I speak, in the way that I act toward them. Am I showing Christ and the gospel that same value? It'd be reflected in a worthy life. So Christian, today, come to the altar and pray that you would live worthy, even in the midst of a hostile world, especially considering we're in a hostile world. Pray that he would give you the strength to not be intimidated by the opponents, that you would stand firm, that you would strive side by side for his name and for the gospel. Come and pray that the church would stand strong, whatever comes, because he is worthy. But if you've looked at your life and you see that Christ has no worth to you whatsoever, I call you to repent and believe. He died for you so that you could have eternal life. He gave everything, the God who created the universe took on human form and died and suffered so that you could have eternal life. There is nothing in this world more valuable than that. And so I call you to believe and be saved. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.